Good morning. Glad we get to open God's word together. We're actually going to be in the passage that Luke just read to us in Galatians chapter five and in the beginning of six. And so if you want to find your way there, uh, the pew Bibles, if you don't have one, they're, they're there for the taking. We'd love for you to take one if you need a Bible or know someone who does or just want to follow along there this morning. And so Galatians five, beginning in verse 13 and then down through six, three or so is where we're going to be. But uh, as you're getting there, I just want to think through some some big picture kind of things as we're going to look at this passage in this series we've been doing. And uh, I've been reading uh, the last few years different statistics on what people believe and how those change over time and different things. There's a couple of groups now that do that regularly. And every year, every two years, they'll come out with their new findings and where people are. And so it'll be all across the board, not not just Christianity, but all religions and what people live and there's been, or what people believe. And uh, there's been this unique uh, thing that keeps happening the last 10 years or so. There's a group that keeps growing uh, and they don't know how to ca- uh, that for a while. They didn't know how to categorize it. Now it's become its own category. But in those surveys, what you'll get is, you know, it'll tell you like how many people are mainline Protestant. And then they have evangelical Protestant and, and Catholic and all these different things. And then uh, Islam and and Mormon and everything across the board. But then there's this one category that keeps growing every year, the last 10 years that keeps coming up. And it's called spiritual, but not religious. And, and every time it's growing in these categories, like it started 10 years ago of just one or two percent. And now it's like its own category that they don't know how to put that. Now, it encompasses a whole lot of things. But what they have started to learn and what they're saying about this is spiritual, not religious, just means that I do believe that there's a higher power or there's some sort of God. I'm believing there's something more to this life than just physically what I can see and touch. But I'm not sure how to deal with it. And I'm not sure that I need anybody else to help me with it. And so what it is, is I'm going to be spiritual, but not religious. And what they really mean is I'm not really going to be connected with any larger body. And so you see that has made its way into the church, uh, uh, the Christian church, Bible believing Christian church. It's made its way all through different sorts of things, but it kind of goes like this. Some people will just say uh, spiritual, but not religious means that I experience God in nature. So I just go out like in the woods by myself or I spend time, or I meditate, or I pray, or I think of those things, and I don't need anyone else involved in that. Uh, The Christian version of it actually has some good theology in it, but I think it's kind of misapplied, or it's overstated, maybe, is a better way to say it. And the Christian version says something like, we're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. We would say, yes, amen, that's right. We say that every single week. Our relationship with God is through what Jesus has done. Uh, it might even take a form of something like we looked at a couple weeks ago in First Peter chapter 2. This is we're a royal priesthood of believers. Jesus is our high priest. We no longer need a priest uh, like they had in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. I can go directly to God. I have direct access to God. And so basically I don't need anyone else. I can go to God whenever I want. I'm saved by faith alone in Jesus. And so I don't need any larger group imposing anything on me. So I will be spiritual, but not religious. The problem with that, as far as it goes within the Christian church and the way we're going to look at it this morning, is it leaves out some very clear commands of Scripture. What we've been talking about since we started the year in this is discipleship and growing to be disciples of Jesus. And the the definition I give to you almost weekly is growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our lives under uh, the the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're wanting to be obedient to Jesus in every part of our life, every area of our heart, every emotion, every part of who we are. We want to grow in that. 
And so what we've been talking about as we've talked about discipleship and growing in that is it has these three components. Our relationship with the, the Father, our up relationship with God through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And we've been talking about the relationship with one another within the body, the in relationship. So we say the up and then the in is other believers growing in relationship with them. And then we say growing also in relationship to the out, those that don't yet know Jesus that we come into contact with. And to be fully formed disciples of Jesus, we're growing in all three of those areas. And so we've been touching on that over and over, talking about that as we go. And so this morning, I want us to think about that end component. What part does the body together, being committed to one another, play in what God's called us to be? And I'm going to just submit to you when we talk about spiritual but not religious. I don't really need anyone else in that. That's in direct contradiction to what the scriptures say. So much so that if we're going to say we want to grow in discipleship, obedience to Jesus in every area of our life, we would have to reject that premise. We need one another. That's what the scriptures tell us. We need each other in this. We need to be committed to a body of believers to grow in our up relationship the way God's called us to do so. I would even tell you, and we'll get to this in a minute, but to do the out part to the world, we need one another to show what it looks like. Jesus says, you'll know my disciples by the way they love one another. There's a there's a very express thing there that we need one another to show what that looks like to the world. And so I want us to think on this idea uh, of commitment or membership or being in a covenant uh, relationship with the body. All those language that we use often today in our culture, we talk about membership or being members of a church. And whenever that comes up, what often happens or, or my experience is I get a lot of pushback on that. Different times people will say, you start to talk about membership and being committed and, and, and walking into that, and people will push back and they go, well, isn't that kind of a man-made thing? Get that question a lot? Or they'll say, what's the, what's the passage in the Bible that talks about membership? I, I don't know where that is exactly. And, and to be honest, that's a very fair question because there's not one passage in the Bible that you go to that says this is what it looks like to be part of a church body. There's not like this neat little couple verses that I can point you to and go, well, there it is. But what you do see when you start to look through Scripture and think about this and think on these things is that it is so interwoven throughout Scripture that you can't be obedient to what God's called you to if you're trying to do it on your own. It is so interwoven in every part of it. And so we could look at a whole lot of different passages. I've actually done this sermon before. If you have an interest in it, I will get it for you and give it to you. Where we looked at just a whole bunch of different passages. I'm not going to do that this morning. But we could go to 1 Corinthians 12 and talk about uh, the gifts that God's given us and how he's gifted each one of you through the Holy Spirit. He's given you spiritual gifts in your life. But then Paul says that's for the good of the body. God's gifted you, but not for your own good, but for the good of those around you. You can't do that with other people being involved in your life. Uh, We could go back and look at 1 Peter 2 that we looked at the very first week of this. That we're living stones being built up together into a spiritual house so that we can proclaim what God's like. You can't do that on your own. Or we could look at all the one another statements of Paul in the New Testament. All the things that he tells us to do of encouraging one another, of walking with one another, of praying for one another. You can't do that on your own. And so we could look at any one of those and see it clearly. But what I want us to do is to look at Galatians this morning. Galatians 5, about halfway through, and then Galatians 6. Because the picture he paints clearly shows us that we need one another in this. That this is 
absolutely non-negotiable in growing as disciples, disciples of Jesus. And so I want us to look at that passage this morning, and I want us to think about uh, a couple ways the way we're going to look at it. The first part of this that I want us to think about is, is just kind of posing the question, which I think Paul answers for us. What he warns us of, what he's telling us about here, kind of answers why so many push back on this idea of committing to a local body. I think Paul tells us, gives us some real good insight into that here. And that's the first thing I want us to consider. Why do we push back? What's the bad that makes its way in? The second thing I want us to consider is how do we get past that? What's the answer to the problem that Paul warns us of here? And then lastly, why commitment is so integral to this? Why to be committed to a body is so very, very important to what God calls us to. And so let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in and look at those verses together in Galatians. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That you create through your word, you recreate through your word, you encourage us, you correct us, you teach us. We ask that you would do all those things this morning. We pray that the Spirit would move and teach and guide us, that you would apply this to our hearts and our minds. We can't do this without you. And so we just confess, we ask that you would be our teacher this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So why do so many avoid? Why is there such pushback on this idea of committing? And I think Paul gives you some real good insight into that right here. So look at verse 13 with me. For you were called the freedom brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so he says the bad or the problems that come, the struggles that are here is when you use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He kind of clarifies that a little later. This whole section here, he starts to compare between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. And he shows you clearly what those are like. He gets down to the end and we'll look at this in just a second. But he gets down to the end. He says, let us not become conceited. That's a word that we know that we we still use today. We think about being all about yourself. It's the same thing he's talking about when he says using your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You're going to make it all about what I want. And when that happens, when we begin to do that, when we begin to function as a church that way, autonomous people who come in who are all about what I want and what I'm getting out of this, it's detrimental. The problem is we live in a culture that that's, we are loaded for that. In fact, Alan Hirsch, who's, who's a brilliant Christian writer, English guy, would say that when we, we have to realize that any single person that steps into our churches today is already well-discipled. And he'll say, we're already, all of us, well-discipled consumers. We live in a culture that tells us it's all about us and what we want and get these things and do this and get what makes you feel good and do that. And it's made its way into the church. And you can see it in some almost very superficial ways, but it's all around us. I want you just to think even the way we talk about things that we do within our church body. Oftentimes we refer to this time as a church service. We we use consumer uh, language, service provider, consumer. I'm going to go to the church service today. You probably never thought of it that way. It's so ingrained in everything we do, but we talk that way. It's made its way in. We even begin to see things that way. 
But the problem is, the struggle is, I want you to think about when we've been talking about growing in discipleship. Growing in our relationship with the Father, the up relationship, and the in with the body, and then the out to the world. Right? Jesus summarizes it this way. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? He says all of it hinges on that. But when we make it all about us, that doesn't fit in any one of those three categories. Jesus has said you're going to love me, and then you're going to love people. There's, there's no part of like, you're going to love me and you're going to love people, but you're going to do all that under what, how you feel about it first. And that's the way we often function. And so you see it all around us, even in our culture. And so what happens is we, we become in this very fleshly culture, what I want, what I like, and it's made its way into the church. We end up being consumers in the way we, uh, uh, we come to the church. I meet people all the time at different times about uh, that just because of being a pastor and always our culture, it comes up. Well, what do you do? Right. That's always like the first question people ask. And so then it's kind of out there right away. And, and what I get a lot is people then immediately first thing, tell me where they go to church. Well, I go to church and they start telling me all about it. And I go, OK, well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, which is wonderful, I meet people and they go, oh, I go to church and I love my church. I love it. I go, that's so awesome. That's great that you found a place and you're plugged in and you're there. And then I will always ask this question. What do you love about it? I've almost stopped asking the question because what I get a lot of times, what I love about it. Oh, it's, the music is really, really awesome. They got this great kids ministry. Uh, we meet in this really cool building. Right? Our building's really beautiful. We have great meals together. Right? None of those things are bad or wrong, but who's the center of every single one of those things? Right? It's, it's all about what I like, and they're meeting my needs by making it about what I like. You know what I've never, ever heard anyone say when I ask that question? I've never heard anyone say, they are helping me to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples. I've yet to hear anybody say that. Now, that doesn't mean churches aren't doing that, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm not saying that people aren't even growing in that. But oftentimes when we have to articulate what's going on, it's all about what I get out of it. We live in such a consumer culture that it's in all these ways. Now, that's not the biggest problem. In fact, that's more of a surface issue. It's more of a symptom of a heart condition that wants to make it all about us. The bigger problem becomes is when that gets into our theology. When we exist as a church to be all about what I want, and what I get out of and I'm the sinner. And when that gets into our theology, then it becomes I'm the sinner and the way I relate to God is by how good I am. It becomes all about me. In fact, in a lot of ways, that's what Paul was dealing with with the Galatian church, the church in Galatia when he wrote this. They were dealing with people coming in and saying, no, no, you need to add all these things to Jesus. It's not just faith alone and Christ alone, grace alone. You also need to be circumcised and you need to go through all these rituals and you need to offer these sacrifices and you need to do all these things. And Paul writes this letter and says, please, please stop with that. Because what he saw in the church in Galatia is the same thing we see today when we make it all about us. We make it about our performance and what we do. And guess what happens? When we begin to do that, when we begin to step in and make the church all about me and my performance and what I like and what what happens is we use our freedom 
as an opportunity for the flesh and we bite and devour one another. And it gets really ugly really fast. A church that is unified and we all like the same music, guess what happens when the music changes? We bite and devour each other. Or we're all a church about, man, we love this beautiful space. Guess what happens if we get a few more people and we need to meet in the other space that's not quite so beautiful? We bite. We, we're not unified in the things that God's called us to be unified in. And it causes all kinds of issues. But when we begin to do it in our theology, guess what happens? People get burned really, really bad. People come into the church and we, what we start to do when this, this uh, idea, this consumerism, this, it's all about me and what I like, what ends up happening is churches become people or groups that define themselves about what they're not. We don't do this. That's why we're good Christians. And that happens. And you know what happens when that gets kind of sifted into it? You find out that there are people that have done that, whatever that is. And there are people that are struggling with that. And they get burned big time. They can't measure up. And so then they get hurt and they get wounded. In fact, I often, when I start to talk to people about membership and there's pushback on what that looks like and why would I want to do that, are you sure that's in the Bible, what's usually under it is they've been in a church where they got burned really, really bad and they said, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to step into that. I'm not being vulnerable again because I know how that goes. They've been in a church where it was an opportunity for the flesh. And by the way, we all, every church deals with this. I'm not talking about any church out there. I'm talking about my own heart. We can so easily do this. And so what happens is I meet people and we talk about this. And they say, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, I'll go because I know I should be part of a body. And I'll go a couple times a month. And I'll sit on the back row and then I'll slip out. No offense if you're sitting on the back row. That's okay. <laughs> Some people like it warmer back there or cooler or whatever. So that's, that's not any particular person. Maybe it's you sit on the front row and slip out. It doesn't matter. But the idea is that we say, I'm going to keep everybody at arm's distance because I know what it looks like to be bitten and devoured and consumed. And I'm not doing that again. And so, yes, I'll come, and yes, I'll listen, and yes, I'll sing, and then I'll slip out, and I won't be involved with anyone. And so Paul warns us, I think what he tells us here is why so many of us avoid that commitment. And so the second thing I want us to consider is how do we get past that? What does he tell us here that helps us to get past those problems? And before we do that, let me just pose the question. You don't have to answer this. I just want you to think about it wherever you are. How many of you sitting here today that maybe even come regularly go, but I'm not getting too involved? Yeah, I'll come and I'll sit here, but I'm not actually going to get too involved with what's going on because I've been burned before. I have been bitten and I have been devoured and I'm not doing that. And only you can answer that. That's between you and God and what's going on in your own heart. But please, please hear this. If that resonates with you and where you are, please hear this. Don't let a bad prior thing uh, force you into another mistake. Because God calls you to be part of a body. It's the way he's designed you. It's the way this works. He calls us to this. He tells us this. And so don't be disobedient to him in another area because of bad things that happened in the past. 
So how do we get past it so it's not like that? How do we move ahead in this? How do we avoid it turning into what he's talking about, opportunity for the flesh? And so if you've ever been here before, and what I mean here before, in Church of the Apostles, in the last five years, you've ever been here before, you already know what the answer is. It's the answer every single time that we get together. What's the answer to our selfishness? What's the answer to biting and devouring one another? What's the answer about making it about what I do and comparing myself to other people? What's the answer? It's what Paul says in Galatians 2, chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The answer to all of it is the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done in Jesus. And so when we make it about all these other things, we have forgotten that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God, because He's rich in mercy, has caused us to become alive in Jesus. That's the answer. And when we make it all about us, we've forgotten that it's not all about us. It's all about Jesus and what He's done. And so it is so easy for every single one of us to forget that. I mentioned a couple weeks ago when we came to the table that we do this because our gospel amnesia needs to be reminded. That we forget and we want to make it all about what we do. And so we have a bad week and we go, I'm not worthy to come to the table. You were never worthy to come to the table. It was only because of what Jesus has done that you can ever come. And we need to be reminded of that always. And when we forget it, we fall into making it all about us. Whether it's our preference the way we compare, the way we talk to one another, all those things that are here. And so Paul gives us very, very practically helpful advice to discern when we begin to walk by the flesh. He gives you this whole comparison here. He goes down, he says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And then he shows you this picture of what that looks like. When we're walking in our sinful flesh rather than in God's spirit, making much of him. And he shows us clearly. And if you read through that list, you see all these things that are all centered on me and my desires and my wants and instant gratification and all those things. And then he says, and if you walk by the Spirit, it looks nothing like that. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, putting others first. And he shows you what it looks like. He gets down to the end. Look at what he says there at the end in verse 24, starting in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. I remember, I I preached to the book of Galatians, I think it's been about four years ago now. And I remember still very clearly studying this passage and working through this and getting to this part in this section and reading John Stott's commentary on Galatians. And it just blew me up the way he said what he said here. And he talks about being conceited, which is the, also the same thing where he's saying uh, an opportunity for the flesh. I'm making it all about me. And then he says when we're conceited and when we're walking in our flesh and it's all centering on us, we provoke and we envy. And what Stott says in his commentary, the way he brings that out is he says, we provoke when we know we're right and we want to look down at other people. Do you ever consider that? 
Like, have you ever had, like, a, 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 not serious argument, but just, like, a disagreement with your spouse where you're trying to remember something? And you say, like, oh, no, no, we lived in this house at that time, and this is it. And she goes, no, 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 you're remembering it wrong. And then you find a picture a couple of days later that shows that you were right. You ever done that? And you bring the picture in and you go, hey, who's in that picture and where was it? Right? You, you provoke because you're right. Right? You, you want to show that you're right. Right? That's not walking by the Spirit. Right? So next time you start to do that, that, that's walking in our flesh. I want to be right and I want to look down. Now that gets a lot uglier when it becomes our relationship with God. I don't do this, this, and this, so I'm closer to God. But that person over there does do those things, so they're in trouble. And so we do that sort of thing. Or envying is walking around saying, woe is me, and looking up at everyone else. You don't know how bad I am. Yeah, you say God's forgiven you, but you don't know what I've done. Maybe you've said that before. And when we do that on either side of it, what we're doing is we're forgetting who we are in Jesus. When we recognize that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that Jesus has caused us to become alive, it is only by grace that we are saved. There is no place to look down on anyone. Anyone. I was dead and God being rich in mercy caused me to come alive. What did I do in that? I received grace. That was my part. And so when we start to look down on people, we've forgotten that. The same when we say, yeah, you don't know what I've done. I can't be forgiven for that. We're missing the the magnitude of what Christ has done. That he saved us. That whatever it is and wherever you've been. And so that levels all of us at the foot of the cross. And so we talk about what's the answer to opportunities for the flesh and getting burned and bitten and chewed up and devoured and all the things he talks about. The answer is Jesus. As soon as I want to look down on someone and go, I can't believe they're doing that. That is you, but for the grace of God. So go, oh, that didn't work. I can't be forgiven for that. Go read Psalm 139. It says, God knows everything you've ever done and all of it. There's nothing you're hiding from him. And it says, but there his hand is there to uphold you right in the midst of all of that. I know all of it and I've forgiven all of it. And so whatever side that we fall to in that, the answer is not to push people away. It's not to withdraw back and go, I'm not getting into that. I'm not getting burned. No, the answer is to go deeper and deeper into who Jesus is and what he's done. And when we do, we get to what he says at the beginning of chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you or who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. What's the picture there? He says, if you start looking down and you can't help somebody else with where they are, you've forgotten who you are in Jesus. 
And so the answer is to go deeper and deeper into the gospel and what Christ has done in every area of our lives. And then we're freed to begin to help one another in that. You can't look down on anybody else when you understand who you are in Jesus. And he tells us that's what we're called to begin to do. And so we help one another rooted and grounded in the gospel. Now the problem is, and then we get to the last part of why we need to be committed so much to a body of believers. The hard part is we blow this a lot. Here I am telling you, you need to be committed to a body. In a few minutes, we're going to recognize new members. And then Luke's going to come up and make an announcement and tell you about new member class and how you can join. And I just have to tell you right up front that if you become committed to this body of believers, we're going to blow it at some point. Sorry. It's probably going to happen somewhere along the way. You get a bunch of sinful people together and inevitably we blow it at different points. I'm a terrible salesman, by the way. <laughs> you need to be committed and you should come, but we're really going to stink it up. <laughs> right? That's, that's us and our flesh. But what we're going to continue to do and why we need to continue to walk into this is we're going to continue to make Jesus be the center. And when we blow it, we're then going to repent. And we're going to ask for forgiveness. And we're going to continue to walk forward together in what Jesus has called us to be. And that'll happen at different times. I'm going to tell you, it's already happened. It's happened a bunch. It happened by me a lot when I first started here. I read this this week and said, be conceited, provoking one another. That was me for about the first year and a half I was here. We're not doing it right and we need to do it this way. And you know what happened? People like Bill Burt loved me anyway. And Gil Meredith and our elders that are here, Larry Baldwin would put his arm around me and go, probably shouldn't say it that way. I go, thank you. I look at those guys and go, man, that must have been hard. <laughs> But God is so gracious in the midst of that. And that's why. That is so a picture of why we need to be committed to one another. Because you know what happens? As you do, God uses that. He's designed it that way in our sanctification. What happens when you get together with people really close-knit? Maybe your family. Go away on a long vacation with your extended family and you're all together. What happens? Right? You know already. I don't even have to tell you. Like day two, everybody starts fighting, right? All these things get brought up and all these unresolved things and everybody gets upset. You know what that does? It reveals your heart. And as we commit to one another and we begin to walk this out together, that's what happens. Your heart gets revealed. And the areas where you're struggling gets revealed. But if we continue to push in deeper and deeper into the gospel, we restore one another with a spirit of gentleness. You go, yeah. You're messed up just like I am. That's why we need Jesus. And we continue to walk that out together. Now, now the, 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 the problem or, or the thing that maybe is somewhat appealing sometimes is I'll just keep this out here and I won't go there. But the truth is you're cutting off the way God's called you to grow. 
If for nothing else, if you don't buy any of this, just trust what God says. Be obedient to what he tells you. He says we need one another. And even if you're not sure how all that works out or what that looks like, just be obedient to what he tells you. He says, I'm going to work it through this. I've given you different gifts. God so knew what he was doing. When you read 1 Corinthians 12 and he says he's gifted us in different ways. I think uh, I heard someone say once that if he gave us all spiritual gifts and everything, we would have been content to just be on our own. I'm good. I got everything I need. See you guys later. But he does that purposely because we need one another. We need to grow in that together. And so when you step into a church, yes, we'll blow it. But we're going to continue to point to one another to Jesus. And as we grow in that, as we grow deeper, you're going to realize that the people that you are seated here with today, what Scripture tells us, the, the living stones that are being built up into a spiritual house, that the people right here, you have deeper connection with them, no matter how different our backgrounds may be, because of our unity in Jesus. And inevitably, we're going to slip up and make mistakes, but there's going to be times when you're faithful and you walk it out and hard things come. And he says you need one another to bear each other's burdens. And that's the way God's designed it. That's his very design for us. And so when we think about this picture, what our culture tells us is kind of the opposite of what God tells us. You now have this freedom and you get to use this freedom to love and serve one another for God's glory. So let me just end with this big picture. We've been talking about the up in the end, and I think you see both of those. Hopefully you see those real clearly. But there's also the picture of the out and the way we do this. If we are committed to one another the way God calls us to be, loving and caring and walking that out and encouraging one another, calling each other on things, bearing one another's burdens, doing that, and doing it the way God's told us to do with the unity that is found in Jesus, it is going to be the greatest apologetic for who God is and what he's doing in Christ there is. But Jesus says, you'll know my disciples by the way they love each other. What is the deal with these crazy people from all these different backgrounds that continue to love and care for one another through everything? And that's the way he's designed us. That's what he's called us to be. We get to show what Jesus is like by the way that we love each other. And so all three of those are so held together in this idea of being committed to one another. And so what a glorious picture of what God's given us. And so I'm just going to ask that no matter where you are in that, maybe you are a member here, maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe you're asking those questions wherever it is, I would encourage you to take that next step, whatever that may be. Being more committed to what God's called us to be, that he uses us, one another. You may be sitting here and you don't even realize it right now, but God has gifted you in specific ways for the good of this body or wherever he would call you to be. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious picture of what you've called us to. I pray that you would help us to do this faithfully and fully in the ways that you've called us to be. I pray that we'd be obedient. I pray that you would show us and teach us and guide us in all these ways and all these things. But we do ask for forgiveness. We ask for the times that we are conceited and we are provoking and we are envying and we are struggling with all these things. And I pray that you would bring brothers and sisters in our lives that would speak truth to us, that would point us more fully that we are forgiven and completed in what Jesus has done and that is glorious good news for each one of us. And I pray we continue to do that together. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name.
Amen.